Welcome to the sermon podcast of Paley Presbyterian Church. The following sermon is by Pastor Jonathan Mikesell. Good morning. I want to uh, join Maddie in extending a warm welcome to all of you who are worshiping with us in person and those who are worshiping with us online. I'm Jonathan Mikesell, one of the co-pastors here at Paoli Presbyterian Church, and it's wonderful to see you on this middle of August summer day when we can come together and continue in our Peaks and Valleys series. Throughout this summer, we've been thinking about examples in Scripture of literal peaks and valleys that we see outlined there throughout the Bible. And in many cases, we have been recognizing the ways that these literal peaks and valleys uh, are metaphors for the peaks and the valleys in all of our lives. We've all experienced those high points, those really exciting and beneficial times in our lives. We've all experienced those valleys, those times where it's really tough to know which way to turn and what direction we're going. And we've all experienced the times in between. Probably most of our lives are spent somewhere in between. But we recognize the lessons that we learn in those peaks and those valleys. And this morning, we're going to turn our attention to a a valley experience that's called the Valley of Giants. Now, this is going to be a familiar passage to probably virtually everyone who's here. You've at least heard of this encounter. But you may not have thought of it in terms of mountains and valleys. But the experience of David and Goliath actually did occur in a valley. It was a very interesting circumstance and set of circumstances that we're going to be reminded of today and that reminds us of God's provision and God's presence in the valley of the giants. To take a a turn back for just a moment, in 1 Samuel chapter 17, we read there about the setup for this encounter between David and Goliath. And there we recognize quite early in that encounter that the people of Israel, the Israelite people, they had a problem. This is during the time when King Saul was the first king of the the people of Israel. And during this particular period of time, the problem that they faced was a very real enemy. Their neighboring area, the area of Philistia, who had the people who lived there were known as Philistines. They had decided, as many people did in that period of time, that they were going to come and they were going to try to take the land of the Israelites. And so we see at the outset of this chapter, we see the the Philistines are arrayed on one side of this valley, on the, the hills on one side of the valley of Elah. And on the other side of that valley are the armies of the people of Israel. That part of the story would seem like it would fit with many other encounters that we see throughout Scripture and, and frankly, that we see in, in the history of that day. But there was something that was going to be unique in this particular encounter. Instead of one of those armies uh, be going on the attack and, and going toward the other side of, of that valley and beginning the, the armed conflict right there in the middle of the valley— perhaps taken from some of their interactions with the Greeks who would have perhaps been uh, doing some trading with the Philistines, the Philistines decided they were going to try this attack in a different kind of way. Instead of having the full force of their army going head-to-head in the Valley of Elah, they were going to send out one fighter, 
And instead of it being full army on army, they were going to go with a one-on-one conquest. And as we read that passage, we understand quickly why the Philistines were excited about one-on-one conquest. Because they had a ringer. They had a person that would have been uh, the, the ideal candidate to be the single sole fighter for one side. There's a, a little bit of debate about exactly what the measurements of this man named Goliath were, um, anywhere from six feet nine to over nine feet tall. We might quibble a little bit about it, but either way, that's a pretty big guy. He's a tall guy, a very big guy, and the descriptions that are given there say that his armor would have weighed about 125 pounds. Not a a very small person could carry armor of 125 pounds. So the Philistines, they were excited about this idea of a one-on-one combat, and of course they would be. If you had the greatest warrior in the world, Let's go one-on-one. Let's let our our one key fighter be the one who can decide the battle and decide who is going to conquer and who is going to win. The people of Israel had a similar view of what was happening. They recognized the predicament. They recognized the greatness of Goliath. And the reason that we know that is because for 40 days, they continued to tremble in fear. In morning and evening, Goliath would come out and would challenge them to battle, a one-on-one battle. And over and over again, from King Saul on down, the the fighters for the Israelite army, they they weren't willing to go head-to-head with Goliath. They knew that there was nothing that they could do to to win this battle. And so day after day, time after time, they just cowered in fear and went back and tried to see how long they could put this off. As we're reading early in that chapter, we know that among the ranks of that Israelite army were three brothers of a relatively local uh, man who owned a, a fair amount of property, a man, a man named Jesse. Jesse's three oldest sons were there fighting among, or being, they weren't really fighting, they were just part of the army of the people of Israel at that point. And Jesse would send his youngest son, a son that we're familiar with, a young boy named David, who would go back and forth between the family um, uh, piece of property and and the responsibilities that he had there, he would go back and forth between there and the front lines, taking food and supplies to his brothers and to their commanders, and doing equally important, taking word back to his father of of their condition and what's happening on the front line. You know, they couldn't just dial it up on their social app and find out what was happening at at the front line miles away. They needed to have some way of getting that information back and forth. And David was serving as this go-between, this messenger back and forth, bringing supplies to the front lines and bringing information back to his father at their home. And on this particular day when David made his way to visit with his brothers, he happened to be there at the time when Goliath was coming out to challenge the armies of Israel, telling them that that they should come and and fight him one-on-one and that the winner would be the victor and that that they should come out and, and fight him. And remember, uh, David was just a young boy at that point, but he was astounded when he heard, and when he heard what Goliath said, but he was really astounded when he looked around at all these warriors, all these fighters, all these people that were around him and, and saw them cowering in fear. He couldn't really understand why it was that instead of going out to face this giant in the valley, that, that they were turning and running and, and, were, and were frightened. 
And this is what he said to them and to the people around him. He said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? The armies were seeing the greatness of Goliath. They were seeing their inabilities to go against it. But they were failing to take into account the fact that they were the armies of the living God. It wasn't just about what they could do in their own strength. It wasn't just about the number of of soldiers and pieces of armament that they had. They were the armies of the living God. How was it that they could turn and run in fear when the God that they served was the God of the universe? And we're going to pick up this account at that point in 1 Samuel chapter 17. I'm going to begin reading at verse 31 this interaction and what happened between David and King Saul and Goliath in the end. When the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul, and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, Let no one's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go out and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, You're not able to go out against the Philistine to fight with him, for you're just a boy, and he has been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep sheep for his father, and whenever a lion or a bear came and took a lamb from the flock, I went after it, and I struck it down, rescuing the lamb from its mouth. And if it turned against me, I would catch it by the jaw, strike it down, and kill it. Your servant has killed both lions and bears. This uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, since he has defied the armies of the living God. David said, The Lord who saved me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will save me from the hand of the Philistine. So Saul said to David, Go, and may the Lord be with you. Saul clothed David with his armor. He put a bronze helmet on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. David strapped Saul's sword over the armor, and he tried in vain to walk, for he was not used to them. Then David said to Saul, I cannot walk with these, for I am not used to them. So David removed them. Then he took his staff in his hand, and he chose five smooth stones from the wadi and put them in his shepherd's bag in the pouch. His sling was in his hand, and he drew near to the Philistine. The Philistine came on and drew near to David with his shield-bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was only a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. And the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the wild animals of the field. But David said to the Philistine, You come to me with the sword and spear and javelin. But I, I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This very day, the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head, and I will give the dead bodies of the Philistine army this very day to the birds of the air and to the wild animals of the earth, so that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord does not save by sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into my hand. When the Philistine drew nearer to meet David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. 
David put his hand in his bag, took out a stone, slung it, and struck the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead, and he fell face down on the ground. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone, striking down the Philistine and killing him. There was no sword in David's hand. Now, as we said in the beginning, this is certainly a, a passage that most of us are, are very familiar with. But it's a passage that's helpful to go back to from time to time because it's a passage that demonstrates the incredible power, the incredible strength, the incredible uh, uh, provision of the God of Israel. David and the people of Israel were facing a very real giant in the valley of Elah. For too long, King Saul and the people were overcome by this giant, and they retreated in fear. But God used David to set their eyes in a different direction. And the chances are most of us aren't going to face a seven-foot, eight-foot, nine-foot man with, uh, with armor coming at us in a valley somewhere in battle. But there are valleys of giants that every single one of us face throughout our lives. There are valleys of giants that come against us that can seem overwhelming, that can seem like there's nowhere to turn, no way out. And it's at those valleys, at those times, that we are reminded that God is with us. Sometimes those are economic giants, giants that seem to bury us in debt and uncertainty. Sometimes those giants are health giants, giants that seem to give no way out. Sometimes those giants are relational giants, where the, the relationship seems so broken that our spirits are crushed. I don't know what the giants are that you're facing today. I don't know what the giants are in your life this week or this year or this month. But we all have those giants in our lives. We all have those things that seem from our perspective to be completely insurmountable, completely unovercomable. But we also know that just like he was with David, that God is with us. And we're reminded of that truth today. And there are a couple of lessons that we're going to think about over these next few minutes together that I think come out of David's experience here with Goliath and are reminders to us as we face those giants in our lives and in our world. The first lesson that I want to suggest to us this morning that comes from David here is the lesson to look at the giant through the lens of God and recognize that God is greater than the opposition that we face. King Saul and the other members of the Israelite army, they recognized that, that Goliath was an incredible opponent. Goliath was definitely a formidable foe. And the fact is, there's nothing wrong with recognizing the, the facts on the ground. There's nothing wrong with looking at the circumstances and knowing that it is extremely, an extremely difficult circumstance that's in front of them. There was, there was nothing wrong with the Israelites seeing that this giant of a man was coming toward them and was causing them great opposition. But here's the thing that David recognized that the people around him in the army didn't seem to get. The facts as they saw them, the facts in front of them, were not the totality of the facts. Because God was also at work. And even though they couldn't see him necessarily, God was there. 
And with God on their side, their perspective needed to be very, very different. David was astounded because the people in the army were saying that they couldn't do anything. But his response, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? The, the measure of the strength of the Israelite army wasn't merely a catalog of the people and the material at their disposal. The, the army's ability to defeat this enemy wasn't limited by what they could see and count. They were the army of the living God of the universe. They didn't see it. They didn't understand it. Part of that was beginning to see the greatness of God. I had a, an experience this week that, that helped me to kind of get a little bit at this, this notion of, of difference of perspective. We have um, a couple of frogs that have made their home on the outside of our house, in the front of our house. And frankly, at this time of year, we're glad that they're there because they help to keep the, the insects, the mosquitoes, and the other, you know, other uh, uh, critters that are in that area at bay and allow us to be able to sit out on our porch at night and not have to worry nearly as much about getting it bitten by those mosquitoes. And if we could talk to those mosquitoes, which we can't, obviously, but if we could, I think that the mosquitoes would look at that frog as a pretty insurmountable obstacle. I mean, the size of a mosquito versus the size of, they're not big frogs, but the comparative size, the, the frog is significantly bigger than those little tiny mosquitoes. And the mosquitoes, no doubt, recognize the significance of that frog. But the frog is not the biggest thing in the yard, is it? On Thursday night, I had gone to pick up my daughter, Allie, at work and came home. It was dark, came driving into the, to the driveway, went into the garage, and when I got out, I realized that that frog, unfortunately, had been making its way across the end of our driveway, and I had clipped the side of that frog. Unfortunately, as you can imagine, the frog, it wasn't real good for the frog. Um, but it reminded me, it reminded me, from the mosquito's perspective, there was nothing bigger than that frog. That frog was going to get those mosquitoes, but compared to our car, unfortunately, the frog didn't stand much of a chance. And, you know, that little illustration reminds us of our perspective on the giants in our world and the perspective that these Israelite armies had. They only saw it, they only could see Goliath and their own strength, and for whatever reason, they forgot that they were serving the living God of the universe, that the perspective wasn't merely what they could see and touch and hold, but that they were serving a God who was far greater and far bigger. And not only was God greater and bigger, but God looked at the circumstances of their situation in, in a way that was different from their perspective. God could see things in them and in the enemy that was very different than what they could see. The previous chapter, when Samuel was going to, to anoint David as the king of Israel, he didn't know that he was going to anoint David. He was just told by God to go to this uh, family that, whose father was Jesse and anoint one of the sons. And as they brought the sons in before Jesse, Jesse saw the oldest and he assumed that that was the one who would be the next king to follow after King Saul. But we read this account, this, these words that were spoken to Samuel from God in, in the previous chapter, in chapter 16 of 1 Samuel, verse 7, where it reads this. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord does not see as mortal sees. They look on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. 
the Israelite armies, not only did they not see the greatness of God, they, they didn't have eyes to really comprehend the true makeup of, of what was happening all around them. You see, God's ways of looking at the world are not the same as our ways of looking at the world. Part of God maturing us in life is in helping us to submit our way of looking at the world and saying, God, what is your way of looking at these circumstances and these situations? How do I see them through, through your eyes? How do I trust in the direction and the leading that you have for me? They needed to have a difference of perspective. They needed to see the world through the eyes of God. And in the process of having that change in their way of looking at the world, they were encouraged to face the giants in the valley. When we face those giants in our lives, it's very natural for us to count our resources, to try to figure out our best solution to the problem. We're taught from a young age to be self-sufficient, self-reliant, to figure it out and to get through those circumstances. But here's the thing. The same God who created the universe in all of its enormous expanse, and the same God who created the universe in its, fine, in its intricate detail, the, the subatomic detail that we know about the, the universe, that same God is at work in your life and in mine. And that same God has resources far beyond our wildest imagination. And when we go into that valley of giants, whatever it might be in our lives, we are reminded, much like David needed a, a different set of lenses, or the, I should say the people around him, David had a new set of lenses, the people around him needed to see it differently. They needed to understand the greatness of God. And that's the encouragement for us in those valleys of giants in our lives. The first lesson that we see in David's encounter with Goliath here is a recognition he needed to see things, and the people around him needed to see things with the perspective of God's greatness. But there was a second lesson that we see here in David's experience. The Part of the reason that David could trust in God moving forward into this incredibly trying circumstance was because God had been faithful in David's past. David had that assurance that he could go and face Goliath because he recognized in looking back over the preceding years of his life, even though they had been relatively short, that God had been faithful in the past and that the same God would be faithful moving into the future. You see, as, as soon as David gave this assurance to King Saul that he'd be the one to go and face the giant Goliath, King Saul responded with reluctance. I mean, he looked at David and he said, you're too small. You're too young. This enemy is far too great. There's no way that you, a young boy, can go and face this great, this great uh, warrior, Goliath. But David knew from his experience, he knew from the ways that God had worked that God had been with him in the past, and God would continue to be with him in the future. As a shepherd boy, David had faced the threats of wild animals, seeking to kill, kill the lambs under his care. On multiple occasions, the passage tells us, he had faced bears and, and lions who had come to, to steal the lambs from his flock. And on a number of those occasions, they had actually gotten to the lamb and had taken it away. And, you know, in most cases, it could have been easy to say, you know, it's, it's, it's tough, but we're going to have to let that lamb go. I mean, one out of the entire flock, we don't want to lose any, but... 
There's no way we can go and face that lion or face that bear or whatever else might be facing us. But that wasn't David's response. Maybe in the beginning it was a little bit of the the, uh, exuberance of youth. We're not quite sure. But either way, David went out and fought those bears and fought those lions. And in reflecting on it, David was quick to also recognize, though, that it wasn't just his own exuberance. It wasn't his own skill. In fact, it was God working in and through him. And because of that, David could come into this situation with Goliath, and he could say, the Lord who saved me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will save me from the hand of this Philistine. David wasn't strong enough. He wasn't experienced enough. He wasn't in any of these material ways enough to do what needed to be done against Goliath. It's a good thing he wasn't fighting alone, right? It's a good thing that it wasn't about what David could do. Instead, it was about what God could do in and through David. And similarly, the reason that we can have confidence in facing the giants of our present or our future is because we can recognize the ways in which God has also been faithful in the past. And by looking back in our lives and recognizing the places and things and times where God has worked to provide for things in small and in big ways, we can know that that same God is at work today and will be at work tomorrow, guiding and directing and providing for the things that are needed in our lives. The same God who provided in the past is the same God who provided in the present and the future. That was a lesson that David had learned previously and took into this encounter with Goliath. And it's a lesson and a reminder to each one of us today. Well, there's a third, and I would suggest for today, final comparison between David and Goliath. That is that David needed to go and fight Goliath with the tools that God gave to David and not the tools around him. It's God's gift, not human ability, that was going to allow him to face the giant, Goliath. Goliath was a great warrior, as we've already recognized and seen. Goliath was mature. He was large. He brought powerful weapons into the fight. David was young. He was inexperienced. He was coming with a sling and some stones. From a human perspective, There was no comparison. And King Saul, looking at it from a human perspective, decided he was going to try to even those odds a little bit. He was going to give to David his armor. King Saul, who should have been the one as the king of Israel, who was the leader, who should have been the one going out and facing Goliath, the one who should have recognized that it was God who was in their midst and should have had the confidence to face this giant, that same king decided that he wasn't going to go, but he was going to send this young boy. But he was going to give him his armor. He was going to give him his helmet, his maze to protect his midsection. He was going to give him his sword. And, you know, if you've ever seen a young child in his or her parents' clothing or tools or something struggle with those big shoes or those big clothes or those big coat, you know what kind of a ridiculous scene this must have presented. I mean, this, this helmet that comes down kind of over his eyes and he's kind of trying to move and he can't quite get it to work and he can barely pick up the sword, all these kinds of things. It was, it was a ridiculous kind of circumstance. And we're not really sure um, what Saul was even thinking. I mean, maybe, maybe he just knew how ridiculous this situation was and how much of a lost cause it was that he was willing to, to take whatever chance was necessary. 
Either way, there was no way possible for David to go into that battle dressed like King Saul. It just wasn't possible. God hadn't given David those skills and abilities. David needed to face the battle and go into the circumstance with the gifts that God had given to us, to him rather. And David, David took that message into that battle, recognizing that what he needed was not the armament, not the sword and the, and the defensive means around him. What he was taking into that battle was the presence of God. David took that message about God's faithfulness and that provision, and he faced Goliath, and he said to Goliath these very amazing and interesting words. He said, you come to me with a sword and a spear and a javelin, but I, I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This very day, the Lord will deliver you into my hand. There was no doubt in David's mind, that he would be successful. And he would be successful precisely because it was God who was at work in and through him in that situation. And as we enter the battle against the giants in our lives, we are tempted to do something very similar to what Saul did with David. Trusting in a God that we can't see, even if he's promised to be greater than the power and strength that surround us, is, is much harder than Trusting in the things that we can see and touch and feel and understand in our own senses. So we, we often turn to our intellect, or we turn to our material resources, or we turn to our experience, or we, we turn to all these other things to try to figure out the next steps. And God does give us tools. God does give us resources that we're called to utilize in these situations. But we're also called to recognize that God is far greater than those things that are around us. And that we're invited to get to that place where we kind of come to the end of all of those things. And we're willing to say, God, I can't do it. I can't. I've reached the end. And there's nothing more that I can do. All that I can do is place my life in your hands. And God, I trust that in that time, you will take care of me. Regardless of the outcome that I see, your ways are far greater than this world's ways. Your outcome will be far greater than what this world can understand and see. And I'm willing, I'm willing to trust, to trust you. It's not an easy place to get to. But it's also a place that brings a peace that only God can give. And that's the invitation to us today as we come to this familiar passage as we're reminded of the very real giants that are in the valleys of our lives, we're also reminded that God is greater. That God invites us to see things and to recognize that his ways are far greater than our world's ways. That as he has helped us in the past, he will continue to help us in the present and the future. And that he invites us to trust him in the ways and the manners that he is working, and that he will continue to work. God loves you and God loves me more than we can begin to imagine. And God recognizes that in those valleys of giants, there's really no way out. Only by turning to God, only by trusting his strength, can we receive the help, the peace, and the comfort. And in doing so, can we have hope? Hope that the God of the universe is with us, not only for today, but for eternity.
Lord God, we're grateful today for the reminder that we see in the life of David in this encounter with Goliath. We're grateful for the reminder today that you are greater than the giants of our lives, that we can turn to you, that we can trust you. And Lord God, today I know within the sound of my voice, both here in this sanctuary and in homes throughout our region and around our country, there are various individuals who are facing what seem to be giants far too great to withstand. Lord God, in the midst of that, may they recognize your peace, your presence. May they recognize the invitation to place their hearts and their lives in your hands, knowing that whatever we face and whatever the outcome, we can trust you. Because you are a God who is worthy of honor, worthy of praise. The God of the universe who created all things. Who loves and cares about the details of our existence and our lives. Thank you for that reminder today. Thank you for going with us throughout the parts of our daily lives. And thank you, Lord God, for the reminder today that we join in those through the centuries who have been part of your church. And praying together as Jesus taught us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.